into a comfortable seat. And notice how you sit. Is it forced or easy? Allow your eyes slowly drape, your eyelids to slowly drape over your eyes. Feel your breath. Feel your skin. the movements and rhythms inside you. Instead of relaxing anything or doing anything, can you experience this as being breathed? as a process, as a happening. And then what can you soften that restricts the free movement of your breath? Instead of what can you do, what can you let slip through your fingers? You let go of your shoulders. tension in your belly. Notice the arms, the hands. Is there anything that can be let go of there? mouth and in the face, the forehead. What can you soften behind your eyes? What can be dripped away? Take a deep inhale. 
soft exhale. As you do this again now, instead of being the doer of the breath, what can you do to allow space for a deeper breath? So the breath comes in slow, filling the space that's open beneath it. Now imagine your breath beginning at the tip of your nose. You're using your nose to pull a breath in. Do that a few times. What do you notice in your body? Do you notice in the tensions around your face? And the feeling of it. Now take a moment again. So once more. Let any restrictions to that free breath slip through your fingers. See if there's anything that you can let go of in your belly. Let your attention drift back in from your belly into a deeper place in you. Now at this deeper place, the soft face with a soft nose, allow the movement of your breath be felt, to be allowed from deep down here. As the space is emptied, just that emptiness itself has a gentle pull, drawing breath, drawing the world from the outside in as it expands you. Now as if you could do it millimeter by millimeter. Allow the space for that breath to get bigger.
so you're no longer sure whether you're breathing or being breathed. Where it begins or where it ends. And now from this deeper place, take a deep inhale. soft exhale and as you do that again make it a slow breath a patient breath even though it's a big breath and one more deep slow inhale soft exhale blink open your eyes please let yourself come back slowly without any rush with the same patience that you breathed Paula, can you hear me okay? Yeah, okay. Mm, so welcome. <clears throat> There's a reason that we named this place the School of Movement and Wonder. And in fact, we're close, I think, to flipping those words around into the school of wonder and movement. And the, the reason is that this is more, or at least different than how to move or how to do a shape or a method of fitness for your body. That's a doorway in. Ali said something beautiful about um, in, in, in a post and something that I read that you wrote um, about it being a doorway in and, and it's a doorway in. It's the door to wonder, but it's the wonder that's behind that door. And yes, and the wonder, it's, it's, it's two things. So one, it's a doorway in and then when you walk through that door, it's also inside there. But we'll, I don't want to complicate my analogy too much. The body and movement is a doorway in to this adventure. So what this is more than a school of movement or how to move or anatomy lessons or a collection of, of classes. It, it, it is that too. But all of these things are pointing at something. And at the very core of what we're doing here is a call to adventure, a call to wonder, to, to borrow from Joseph's Campbell's, Joseph Campbell's uh, A Hero's Journey. And what A Hero's Journey is, as he stated in, in A Hero with a Thousand Faces, 
Mr. Campbell, a philosopher in comparative religious studies and and uh, a researcher on, on mythology and mythological stories, he, he, he went through all these hero stories, these hero legends. And he pulled out from that a template. And he called this template the hero's journey. It's, it's this, this common thread, this common wave that seems to run through all the historic human stories. By historic, I don't just mean the the heroes of legends, the the Herculeses, and you know, the, the Luke Skywalkers, and and the Lord of the Rings heroes. I mean, I mean all of us, every human. The path that we go through in our lives, and I'll, I'll even state it the way that he stated it. So, the way that he described the pattern of the hero's journey is a hero ventures forth from the world of the common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow bones, um, <laughs> to bestow boons on his fellow man. And right at the beginning of this hero's journey, the way that he describes it, and you can see the way that he wrote it, even in this little paragraph, it's much, he goes into much more depth of this. So we'll just talk about the beginning of it. A, hero's, a hero ventures forth from the world of the common day into a region of supernatural wonder. So the ordinary world, a hero is called out from the ordinary world. And by ordinary, I don't mean ordinary in the real world that's that's around us all the time. I mean, ordinary in the sense of the veil of ideas that has been put on the world that we see, that we think we're seeing the world clearly, but really what we're seeing, we're seeing a set of ideas and learned behaviors and patterns that's been draped over the world in the way that we see it. And that is our, for the most part, our normal world, what we see as our everyday the world of the ordinary and then there's a call in the hero's journey there's a call to adventure a call out of the ordinary world into the supernatural into something different from that ordinary world and that's the call and i, I didn't even i read this and i didn't even realize that he, he uses the word wonder right in that in that paragraph that that he uses and and this is a call to wonder isn't a call necessarily to make your knees healthier or to be able to do a better handstand or have a better yoga practice or learn how to do body work, even though those things are using the same thing. Let's say they're arrows in your quiver, different keys to unlock the door to see what's behind it. This call to wonder is a call to magic. It called the world differently of understanding from the way that it was before. Call to wonder 
goes the, the template, you'll have adventures, you'll have ah, dragons to slay, experiences to overcome. And then through this adventure, through this, these, these mentors and, and these battles and, and this overcoming, you come out the other side with boons, not bones, with boons for the fellow man. You come back with something. And when I say come back, you come back as if you had ever left into the ordinary world, but forever different. Something is now different about you that's visible, that's palpable. That if someone looks at you or hears you speak, it's like, oh my God, where have you been? And what have you seen? And this is the call to this adventure. So while we talk about movement and about anatomy and, and philosophy and myth and storytelling, what you're being called to is the big adventure, is a different way of seeing the world. It's the unveiling of the magic and wonder that's there and your expression. And that expression is gonna be unique to you. The seeing is gonna be unique to you. Before we go further, and we will, if you answer this call to wonder, if that becomes the way that you see the world, I, I used the words the other day, a, a renaissance of wonder. Close your eyes for a second. And without thinking, without trying to think, without forcing thought into your brain or trying to reach for an idea or reach for words or reach for an answer. What would it feel like to fully step into that wonder, into a renaissance of wonder in the way that you experience yourself in your life in all its movements? What would that feel like in your belly? What would that feel like in your mind? What would that feel like in your days? What would that feel like in your months? And in your ears. You can let your eyes open and you can keep them closed. Now we are calling you to an adventure. We're not calling you to journey alone because we're on that path too. We're all on it. And it's an individual path. It's, it's a path that no one can walk for you, that no one can experience for you. But while you need to experience all of these things from that you place, we can walk together. We can point things out. 
we can describe and share the experiences of what it feels like for us, of where we're at. Where everyone that we meet, but especially within this circle, becomes that mentor, becomes that ally, becomes someone else to see that wonder inside us. Another key to the door. And in the same way, you become that for the others. Those boons for your fellow man, fellow man and woman, and everything, all genders, no genders. These are some very old words. Not only can I not take you there directly, but even if we could, if we can put you in a box and take you to this wonderland and open the box and let you out, if that's something that we could do, it wouldn't be something that you'd want. Because the unfolding, the unwrapping of this wonder, the observation of this wonder, the oohs and ahas is in the surprises. It's in the opening of the gift. And especially as children, we're, we're much too polite as adults, but especially as children, when we had a gift, we didn't want anyone to open the gift for us. It, it was the fun. It was it was that that fleeting moment of before we had the gift and now we're going to get the gift, the anticipation. The world is now forever different because of what's in, in this box. And that's the constant unfolding and unwrapping of this wonder. It's in the unwrapping, it's in the unfolding. Some of the sweetness, the biggest sweetness of those experiences are. So it isn't, we talk about it as a call to wonder, as stepping through the door, but it's not a location. It's not a place that once you arrive at, it's there. It's a dynamic, continuously unfolding of the magic and wonder that you are. And the being in, enraptured by it. It's not the stagnant knowing, but it's the aliveness of a moment that you don't know. And that's not the place that most of us start out from. It's not the place that we were taught to look from and to be in. It, it was actually put down as somehow a lesser state that not knowing was a state not as good and not as good as this knowing. Where to know means to be good, it means to be wise, and to not know means to be ignorant, to be naive. And you can just continually add words that mean about the same thing. But it's in the not knowing. Where that aliveness is most present. Where the moment has its newness, where life has its newness. And as we see that, as we see that newness and that aliveness in those moments in front of us, they mirror back to us our newness, our aliveness, our dynamic, ever changing process. 
And now we get to play and forget and open up wonder again and step into the next moment. And even within the things that we feel, we very quickly move past the point of the newness of experience into categorizing and boxing and putting now into before or the current moment into a known past. Close your eyes for one more second. Where do you experience intelligence? Notice if even when I said that, where you went to for the answer. What part in you stepped, stepped forward first? And notice if it was in words right away. And if an answer seems very, very important, and even if this tension came over you to reach for an answer, to stretch for an answer. Let your eyes stay closed, take a few breaths. Do you experience intelligence? With your stomach. With your skin. With the tips of your fingers. your hands and your feet. Now take your right hand and just gently touch your left hand with your eyes still closed. What did you feel? How quickly did that touch, that sensation, turn into a category, a list of words, into the collection of learned patterns of linear thinking and observation? Do it one more time. Now, the more quickly we go from the experience of that touch into the words describing 
that touch into the categories of was it soft, was it hard, was it good, was it bad, was it this, was it that. We're reducing the experience to a symbol that can be filed away. And it's a very intelligent thing. It's, it's a genius thing, a genius capacity that we have in order to be able to do that. But the hypnosis happens here where we start to mistake the symbol for the experience. If your eyes are still closed, you can open them now or you can keep them closed. Words like hot, cold, soft, hard, good, bad. These are either just sounds. If it's a spoken word, it's just sound. Cold is a sound. Me putting my hand in ice has nothing to do with the sound of cold, with a movement in my mouth and sound waves coming out of it. Or if it's the written word, it has nothing to do with the squiggles on paper. These are shadows. These are pointing to the fullness of an experience. This is where we walk side by side into the call to wonder next to each other with symbols to point at each other, to point to each other. Oh, maybe it's this, look for this. It's something like this. And these are great tools as long as we don't forget that the experience that we're pointing at can never, ever, ever be held within the sound of words. Even if it was someone, a, a master, of, of language, like a Shakespeare that can paint and, and, and pull emotion out just by the use of these squiggles, by the use of these sounds. He comes close. <laughs> the best writers come close. The best artists come close because they know in their heart of hearts that they're not boxing and giving you that emotion on a canvas. That they're pointing at their peek in to what's behind the door. So that's why all great art feels almost like it pulls you in. It's drawing you in. It's an invitation into what? Into somewhere. Into the aliveness of the moment, I think. Into the wonder of it. Into the place that the veil is pierced. Where things don't look the same for a second. Where we realize the flimsiness of that pattern and we get to through someone else's pointing, through someone else's symbols, look underneath it for a second and experience hopefully something for ourselves of that wonder. And now funny enough, we trust. Somehow in that tiny expression of our intelligence, in our ability to categorize and control the moment by understanding it in language, by putting it back, by comparing it to a past that's already been there. And once we do that, we can categorize, oh yeah, that is like this. I can put it in that box. I can separate myself, that I can. I do separate myself from the fullness of the experience. And we trust that tiny 
bit of intelligence. But we don't trust, in general, we don't trust the deeper intelligence that also flows through us. We don't trust the naturalness of it, the, the lack of control of it. But what we could be wise to understand is that that little piece of linear intelligence that we trust so much was birthed, came out of this deeper naturalness that flows through us this intelligence that birthed our brains and our minds cannot be dumb, is not stupid. So if we trust the intelligence of our linear thinking so much of the control that we are trying to exert on what's underneath us, we think we're a little man here, the linear thinking we think happens here. So what's beneath us? If we can't trust that intelligence, the naturalness of it, the, 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 the apparent symphony of chaos of it, we need to take these wiggly lines of that intelligence and use our linear thinking to iron them out. Now, how could we trust this linear intelligence in us when it was an expression of that intelligence beneath us? To trust the linear thinking means we trust the intelligence of what came beneath it, what came below it. And that idea of control is an interesting one too. Are you in control of being conscious? Are you in control of being aware? keep asking for yourself I don't want to give you the answer I want you to, to search for it and doubt me and don't trust me and look for it yourself and then while you're asleep force yourself into consciousness and then force yourself into unconsciousness I mean you could do it but it would require you know things that you probably don't want to do to your own body and what I mean by that I mean the little man the thinking man the linear process of thought that we hold so dear are we really as in control as we think we are from that place I mean in the definition of ourselves as the linear thinker the the, the, the little man you know that that that's in our brains and the body beneath it is this machine that really is just there to drive the little man or little woman the brains around that awareness that sense of trying to control. I'll give you an example. I was I was talking with with my mother and, I, and I've seen her do this over the years, but it's now she's um, much wiser and, and she can laugh at some of these things and she's she's pretty self aware. So she sees her craziness and she sees the silliness and the weirdness of the things that she does and can talk about them in a really funny way. So what she does when her husband's driving, she's not driving, her husband's driving. 
but it's let's say especially if it's she'll be in the passenger seat right next to him and 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 he'll be driving and it'll let's say there's there's a lot of traffic a lot of cars on the road and it's raining and in one of south florida's huge thunderstorms where you can barely see through the windshield i've been in the back seat and i've tried to to say something or talk or ask her a question and she's in the passenger seat now and i'll ask her you know like mom what do you think about this and she, she, she won't look her eyes and i see her and she's leaning forward from her passenger seat leaning forward staring at the window focused on the road in front of her and she'll tell me i can't talk right now i'm concentrating from the passenger seat without any capacity to actually move the car or step on a brake or turn the steering wheel or do really anything that's going to affect the car in any real way she's leaning forward with her eyes with her concentration trying to will the car to do well people to drive well keeping the car keeping everybody in the car safe by the force of her will by the force of her attention and her stare and her concentration and and Winston our one of our little puppies does kind of the same thing when he wants one of his treats very smart dog when he wants one of his treats he'll come to where one of us is and he'll just stand on the floor and stare and can't be distracted now you can call his name someone else especially if someone's near the kitchen he'll just stare he knows it's time for his treat the human isn't doing what they should be doing going to the right place so he will stare almost trying to psychically by the power of his will make this human do what they want to do now at least uh, Winston's got a shot cuz if he gets um, cute enough and and we notice him we'll go and we'll we'll give him his treat but it has that same feeling of it obviously my mother has no control over the car but this sense of control that i need to stare that i can't trust this moment to unfold the way that it needs to because something in me almost pathologically needs to control this moment just by my force of attention you'll see you'll see her forehead scrunch up you can see this squinting a little bit of squinting at the eyes she's working really hard at at keeping everything safe um from the passenger seat in this car and she'll laugh about it she knows that she does it she still does it and in the same way we we do that what we actually have control over if anything at all is almost nothing when it comes to the big picture of what we are do you have that kind of linear force of will control over how you run your pituitary gland or how you beat your heart or the speed of how your blood flows through your veins or the transfer of oxygen and carbon dioxide that happens on the little branches of the trees inside your lungs But we don't think of those things the same way. But when it comes to movement and thought, we're under this assumption that we do have this control where there's a controller and the controlled and we learned this really early on in school. That that we're taught to pay attention to control yourself. And these and these are the words that are used control yourself. And, and the underlying 
the underlying thought that's being infused into that is that you're something that needs to be controlled. That you you better do the controlling because you 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 are a thing that needs to be controlled. So right now is where you start control yourself. Pay attention, listen closely. These extra muscular efforts. Can you hear that? Listen, listen closely. And we tighten up and we listen when we have this muscular effort in us. That if somehow, if we didn't force ourselves in school to pay attention and scrunch up our brains, that we'd fall asleep and we didn't control ourselves in life, we, we would fall apart. That, that all the evil, ugly impulses in us would come to the surface and, and we need to keep this in check. And while these thoughts might not be the prevalent thoughts within our minds as we get older, it's an ingrained pattern of thinking and experiencing the world. So we react and act from that place of not being able to let go, constantly holding ourselves together. So even within the feeling and within movement, if we go quickly to our linear thinking in the attempt to control or pay attention or feel, it turns, it does a couple of things. First, it turns the newness of an experience. Every time you make a shape or you move or you take a breath, it's a brand new moment. If there's an aliveness to it, there's an aha in there. But as soon as we take that and file it into, ooh, breathing. I know breathing. I know what it is to sit like this. I know what it is to breathe like this. I know what the teacher wants from me. I know what they want from me. And here it is. We turn that aliveness into a been there and done that into the stagnation of just the symbol of the empty words of blah there, which is not anything but trying to point at a very new and wondrous experience that is constantly there, constantly unfolding in front of us. Now, is it possible? To be in a state where the feeling and the experiencing is not so quickly controlled and boxed. Where the fullness of the expression is allowed. So it seems to me what we would need to allow a state to be born in us. Where observation and counting and controlling and filing and distrust for the moment without that extra envelope of control. Can be softened be released and this isn't a new pattern this isn't something that we started doing yesterday 
it's probably been in us longer than we can remember. It's been being learned in us longer than we can remember. The muscular control or fear. And as we teach, as we go around the world and we teach, it's not just in one culture, it's everywhere. Where there is a very real fear that if we're not in control of ourselves, or that some external force isn't controlling us, that we will either fall apart or we will become evil or bad. And that our baser, baser instincts, our baser nature will be what comes to the surface and takes over. So we need to control ourselves lest the boogeyman come to get us or even worse that we become the boogeyman. when we're talking so where does movement fit in here why is it the school of wonder and movement movement is a very tangible place to start and it's a place for a lot of distrust it's a doorway that we all have with us and as we move how do we create that trust we create that trust not by forcing trust. Have you, have you ever seen a, a child and at whatever age, let's say six or seven or eight and, and a stranger comes to the house and we, we want our kids to be polite and, and, and be good to family members they've never met and be good to our friends. So the child comes in and, and we tell them, well, go hug this person. And sometimes they're fine with it. And sometimes for whatever reason, hey, you know, and they could just be being, you know, and in the ass of the moment for whatever reason like kids are like we are too like adults are but there might not be a trust there yet to come into that kind of intimate contact from being very little to this very much bigger than you person and putting yourself into this weird little ball in front of them and giving them a hug the trust isn't there and now while depending on how quote-unquote well-behaved the child is we can tell the child no you must do this go and hug them and the child will go and hug them but that's not truly that the child didn't trust that moment before and then in the forcing to hug that trust just happened a lot of times what happens is if, if there was some kind of distrust in that moment then within the hug, there will be somewhere in the body a bearing down. A bearing down, holding it together because I don't trust this moment to unfold. I don't trust this moment and I'm being forced into an experience of forced trust. And what we do is we start to build walls of distrust that are painted on the outside as if they were trust. But those trusting walls or those trusting places still hide a major distrust right behind them. And that trust is built slowly. Real trust in the moment is built slowly, especially if there are experiences throughout our lives that made us bear down and protect ourselves from these moments that we didn't trust in the ways that we move, the injuries in the body, um, your knee is injured. And now there's a distrust in the capacity of that knee to hold you. And now 
what will happen is like, yeah, we can start moving. We go to physical therapy, we start moving. But if that trust is not really built in that knee and we're doing the outside movements, the outside shapes, the outside exercises, we're doing the same thing. We're building a toilet paper sheet of trust that looks like trust, that if you get close to it, it appears to be trust, but what's right behind it is a thicker wall of distrust that's never been gotten over. So as we move together, the trust comes slowly. It's not violent, it's not a violent breaking through of patterns. Your body is already intelligent in movement, extremely intelligent, beautifully intelligent, much more so than the linear thinking mind that we think has to control movement and engage things and protect ourselves. But now we start to put on these, these squeezes and these bearing down into certain parts of our body, whether it be from an emotional place, an intellectual place, or from a physical place. And I know you guys know by now that all those things are the same to me. then that intelligence can't come up to the surface in its fullest expression. And in the ways that we use movement, it's in that way. It's to unleash and free the restrictions to the intelligence that's already there. Where it no longer becomes this linear, are you doing movement? but being fully in the state of flow where you are the process and observing the process. If you've ever done things that have that feeling of flow, you've ever surfed or done something that completely enthralls you in the moment, running, sprinting, jogging, skating, Driving a car doesn't really count because it has to be someone, something that, that holds your attention completely. And in those moments of the attention of you, of all of you, your body, your, your mind, your heart, all goes into the fullness and aliveness of this one moment, everything. There is no time or space for you to think, am I doing this right? Is my foot where it needs to be? It's just, you're in that moment completely, skydiving, is is one that that, that jumps to my, that, that jumps into my mind because something that requires all of you where there's no space for that other voice to come in for that distrust for that thinking that we need to control it comes in and it just happens and in those moments a lot of time that's that's where even the feeling of time gets warped and distorted that it could either feel like time goes very slowly or right after the moment, you're allowed to take a breath and you come back to your senses. Like, what just happened? How did that just happen? What did I do? And you almost can't even put it into thoughts because it happened so fast. And we'll talk about time more because it's a conversation all on its own. But that's why the time, it's not the way that Einstein meant it necessarily, but our idea of time is relative. It's not as solid as the thing as we thought it was. So time changes depending on how we meet the moment. 
the feeling of time changes in how we meet the moment. So in the ways that we move in the invitation to wonder and the invitation to movement, it's a call to see yourself fully, to see the intelligence that you are fully, to express that in any way that you uniquely want to, to soften the patterns, to soften the and ease Places that we're unaware of that hold us back from that freedom. That's a very different thing. And then once you feel it, it's not as if this is going to be a constantly forever fixing job. It's not even that right now. There is wonder and intelligence within the so-called lack of freedom in your shoulder or in your neck or that you can't do this. There's a whole world right there. Now, it's sometimes more difficult to see there at the beginning because we're so used to the way that we think things should be, the way that we think it'll look when we come to that place. So it takes a while. There was a Zen saying, and they asked this master, about Zen and about enlightenment and about waking up. And that is what we're talking about here. It's, it's a waking up. It's a being awake to the fullness of life, to the fullness of the experience of what we are in it. And he asked this master, master, how long does it take to see this? How long does it take to, to wake up, to, to achieve Satori? It's, it's in Japanese Zen, Zen, it's Satori. And the master's response was, it could take 30 seconds or it could take 30 years. I mean that. So it could take 30 seconds or it could take 30 years or it could feel like 30 seconds or it could feel like 30 years. But there's nothing to achieve because it's already all right here. It's how to see. And that's what the mystic is. What the mystic is, is to see the divinity and grace and wonder not to create it, not to make it, not to achieve it, but to see that in the ordinary world, where you realize that the call to wonder out of the ordinary world, that ordinary world was, was never ordinary, that it was supernatural in the sense of it was more super than we thought that the natural could be. And that's the call to wonder, and that's the call to wonder through movement and through other things, but that's what we're doing, not, not trying to fix anything. Had you guys on here for just about an hour already. I'm gonna come back this way. Hmm. How you doing, Paula? You good? Yeah. If you have any questions, you can, you can ask, or if not, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there for today. Yeah? yeah. All right. Close your eyes for a second. And let go of anything that's keeping your eyes from being closed. 
instead of forcing them closed, you soften whatever is in the way of them closing. So the closing is just natural. Allow your breath to be felt. Allow yourself to be breathed. feels like in your head to be felt. Now what it feels like in your chest to be felt. feels like in your belly to be felt. Now what it feels like in your pelvis to be felt. place for a deeper breath to expand and fill you. Now take one more big breath together. See if you can soften anything that keeps your eyes from opening till they just naturally open. Welcome to your call to wonder. Answer the call. <laughs> 